I haven't posted online in more than three years. I basically non-existent unless my clients no one knows that I even work. But the thing is, you have clients yeah. and some people online, they're very present and don't have yeah. clients. <laughs> This is episode number 35 of the Let's Talk Retouching podcast. The show in which we talk all about retouching and post-production. This is the podcast in which we take a deep dive into common retouching techniques, best practices and have you peek behind the scenes of the image making process. As always, the show is brought to you by our high-end retouching studio, Boutique Retouching and the online educational platform LearnPostProduction.com. My name is Daniel, I am your host and the founder and CEO of Boutique Retouching. Before we jump into today's episode though, I want to remind you, producing such a podcast takes quite some time and dedication on our side. If you appreciate what we are doing here, if you enjoy listening to the show, and if you get some value out of it, I'd be happy to know you hit that subscribe button in whichever podcasting app you are using and for you to become a long-term listener of the show. Hello there. Before we jump into the episode, I want to say hi, thanks for following, and what a crazy year this has been. The time I am recording this episode is early 2021, which is still a bit weird to say because not much has happened. Obviously, in 2020, COVID hit. It's been an interesting time. I think it's not been an easy time for many of us. That's why I briefly want to address this. So there have not been a lot of updates um, because the podcast never was the main thing of our business. Uh, we just did it for fun. Yeah, but we will continue doing it as the time and business allows. I just think we all have to push through of this current situation with the pandemic and things will get easier over time. Again, I hope all of you guys who are listening are doing relatively fine. It's important for us to stay healthy. I think it's important for us to stay connected because many of us will struggle with self-isolating and the maybe depression that might come from it, the detachment from our social contacts and so on. But nevertheless, I want to jump into today's episode. I have brought in a guest and I'm really psyched about it. It's pretty much my best friend in this industry. Her name is Natalia. She's a fabulous retoucher and she has so much to say, even though she's not the type who is going out into the industry and sharing that by herself. So I had to push her quite often, literally, to get her to do the podcast. But I'm really happy she eventually came on and we did an interview. And as always, as it happens with friends, we speak differently than, for example, if I had someone for an interview that I've never spoken to before, ultimately ending up being quite a lengthy recording. So we will put this into two episodes just because otherwise nobody's going to listen to a two-hour episode. But I think there's so much value in here that it really makes sense to split it in two parts and have you dedicate the attention to every bit that is in there. So please enjoy this episode with my dear friend Natalia. But speaking of retouching, it's nice to have a friend on the podcast who is actually 
working in the industry, doing her thing and being kind of a rock star, even though you're not posting much on social media these days. I really want to, though. But then again, you're doing great work. And let's just go over some of the work that you're doing, because I know you've doing a lot of stuff in the commercial field and also fashion. And you have work published in Glamour, Cosmopolitan, what else? Uh, One magazine, Schön magazine, Officiel, L. I don't know how this goes on and on and on. And doing stuff for Anastasia Beverly Hills, makeup companies. Well, how should we start? Maybe let's talk about like, you have such a long list of clients. How does someone get there? How did it start for you? Even how did retouching become an interest of yours? How did it start? Let, let's go to the beginning. What people don't know about you is probably you have a uh, formal education in photography and that stuff. So um, where was that retouching became a thing of you? Maybe you can elaborate on that. Okay, yeah, sure. So um, I'm going to go slightly earlier. My interest in photography and retouching started around when I was actually 12. So I was really young. Uh, my parents had a friend that we used to sometimes visit. Um, you know, adults would just be in a kitchen or a living room chatting. And the dude was really into the computers. And he had a point of shoot camera that he let us sometimes to borrow. So I would take pictures by myself at home or with my friends. You know, just have pictures. We would put uh, like a bed sheet on into the wall and dress up, put music and create like little photo shoots. Oh, so you were actually doing a, a high-end production already. <laughs> That's what you saw. I'm not sure I can get. I actually have some of those pictures. They are cringy as hell. But, you know, they're fun to look at. Well, we can maybe share them with the audience as well. I will need to ask my friend because there's my okay, friend and we're like children in there. Well, we can <laughs> retouch that person out. So I'm quite confident yeah. we are capable of that. True, true. <laughs> um, so he used to give us camera to borrow. So I used to play with it. And um, I remember once uh, my parents took me to his place while they were Adults were cooking and just socializing. I was sitting on his computer and he had a editing software, which was Corel Draw. Oh, I don't know how yeah, that one. The software that, that claims to do everything that you would ever want out of a piece of software. Does it? I actually well, don't know any claims. I don't know. People were using it for everything, for drawing, for painting, for, and it could do everything, but not everything like Photoshop could do for images and Illustrator or some painting software could do. So it was a mix out of pretty much everything you would want as a creative, but sometimes it would reach the end of its capabilities that you might want to use as a professional. Well, I don't, I don't know much about it. I just remember he had this software and he had a couple like weird tools and he had stock images that you could, it was like a tutorial phase, you know, when you start up the program, they have similar stuff in games. They just show you how to navigate through the program and shows kind of tools. And there was one for like skin tone to make you more tan. And the one was like a neon brush and I was so mesmerized by it. And I was like, oh my God. I can paint this like neon stuff and um, I ended up importing some of my images while I was there and because it was neon I ended up drawing myself into like little devil horns and trying to make myself look cool and I thought that was so amazing uh, but we didn't have computer at home so I couldn't do anything but then we could say 
my dad's parents made the biggest mistake. They bought him a computer on his birthday. It was uh, not that old. It was a Windows XP. And I tried to find that software again. Of course, you need to pay for it. And uh, I'm a child in Estonia. We did not have much money or I didn't know. And then well, as I stumbled. children, you never have money. <laughs> no, exactly. You don't have money. And then I stumbled across something called Pirate Bay. I think that's how we... I, okay, I can't speak for everyone, but I know that's how majority got their first Photoshop. <laughs> well, I guess everyone in their history had a kind of illegal copy of Photoshop. Everyone. Yeah. But that's, uh, you, I think yeah. that's the same as with operating systems and stuff. I mean, if you're a child and can't afford shit, I can say it's okay <laughs> to use pirated software. But then again, uh, companies, they know about that and they know people get into using that software and down the line, if they decide to use it professionally, they will pay anyways at some point. But I think what's great that Photoshop did is they made it as a monthly subscription or you can have a yearly subscription pay annually because back then a standalone program would cost an enormous amount of money and unless you had that kind of money to make this an investment but uh, monthly subscription and student discounts make it much more accessible for people who are interested to pursue this hobby or interest and develop it further. So back then, I could not afford it. Um, I didn't even think about purchasing it, you know, as, as a child when I was like 12. You just see it for free and you're like, well, I'll, I'll take it for free. Why would I pay if it's available for free? So I had the Photoshop CS2. Didn't know how to use it. had no clue. Um, so I was just browsing the internet and I remember stumbling upon a website. I actually checked it couple of days ago just to see if it exists and it does it's called dmiart.ru which not everyone can visit because not everyone of us can speak or read even yeah exactly you don't need to visit it it's a russian forum and it's to do with Photoshop and 3d design and graphics and but the reason i'm mentioning is back then i didn't speak english so my native uh, language is russian and there were Photoshop tutorials online, but I couldn't understand them because they were all English. So I could not really follow them. And some really kind people on that forum who could speak English would translate those tutorials and put them in a forum and translate them to Russian. So that's how I started experimenting with Photoshop by following the tutorials. And it used to be mostly photo manipulation and, you know, graphics design, adding elements. Um, I think like we all start this way. We just try to do all this funky stuff in Photoshop, it just feels so yeah, amazing. Photoshop us into another place or, I don't know, stuff like this. Y yeah, I mean, I put myself in a forest and I drew stuff, added wings and made myself into fairies. And I changed my stuff. But, oh, which reminds me, actually, before I could get Photoshop for free, I tried to edit on Windows Paint. Oh, gee. It was great. I managed to figure out how to change the background because it was about getting a sparkly background behind me and my friend. I was so excited. I was trying to show my friend and she couldn't get why I'm so excited about editing stuff. But I remember Windows Paint only had, you know, the control Z if you want to go backwards, but it had only like history state of three. So you couldn't go yeah. further down. How many history steps are you using these days? I have about 10. No more. See? Because I work non-destructively. Yeah, but it's interesting to know about people because Photoshop has this feature where you can 
put a limit to your history steps because obviously that has to be saved somewhere in, in the RAM and stuff. And the less steps you have, the more performant the application will be. But I find the same that professionals usually don't need a lot of steps to go back because considering when we're dodging and burning and healing and cloning, we are performing thousands and thousands of actions. Let's say we don't make mistakes that much. So except for when something happens that is unexpected to what we're like, it's not doing what we actually wanted to do. If you'd not mess up a setting or something and you notice it right away, you don't need to go steps back. Right. Exactly. That's why working on the structure is really important. But back then it was an option. So there was only three states back and I wouldn't close the image or and my mom used to play solitaire on a computer and then she accidentally would mess up the window and she would just like draw a line through the image and i remember like mom you ruined my image like can you not see could you hold off with your solitaire i had to finish and we would argue well not argue but you know because it was so important <laughs> to me to edit and that sparkles the image but yeah um, interestingly that's how different people have a vision of what to do with computers right some they're just sitting down to play. Some are using their creativity and saying, hey, there's this new medium or this tool box that I can use to create something. And that's amazing that especially when you're younger, you have a vision of doing something different with hardware and software that maybe grown-ups or people who are stuck in their I mean, computers were still kind of new for most people when XP was around. So that's fascinating to me that you're like, hey, I sit down to create and to even figure out how to change a background on in Microsoft Paint, which is, as far as I remember, not the usual thing people do. So I could maybe draw a house or something like very basic stuff. And people are still, even today, there is like people doing changes like, how far can I get to create paintings uh, with MS Paint and like? Oh yeah, stuff. I saw something like this. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. I don't actually know how I did it. I, I think it's probably something like putting an image on top and erasing it. Maybe I'm not sure, but it was just so fascinating and so fun and different that I couldn't get enough of it, and I guess it paid off. So I'm happy. Yeah, it stuck with you somehow. So how did it go from there? You, um, as a child, pirated Photoshop and learned about that application. And how did it go from there? So yeah, I kept following those tutorials, uh, trying to learn the program. And I kept doing compositing and I joined more forums where people would do editing and there were competitions, nothing professional. Everything looked really crappy, but back then it was like the best thing ever. And this was even because I'm from Estonia and there was their own social media. It was kind of like a MySpace, but based for that country. And they had in social media currency. And I actually used to advertise my retouching back there for a little money. Girls would ask to put like a frame around the picture and do like color grading because I didn't know the skin retouching or anything was part of it. How old were you back then? So that was pre going to college in the UK. Yeah, that was around social media was around 14, 13, something like this, because uh, in the currency that you could uh, gain in that social network, you could buy 
like a different skin for your page like myspace you can make like pink or green or uh, i don't know have snow falling down or something like this so the good old days of the internet yeah so i i used to do that and then um when we moved to england in 2007 living in there eventually my parents gifted me a second hand nikon uh, camera it's with a crop sensor uh, they bought it somewhere from someone and i used to text uh, i used to take self portraits it was really interesting to me to put makeup on and just transform into a different character and then take it anything i think i i even have some of those images still up maybe on facebook and it was just interesting to edit and composite stuff just making something different like it was a different persona it was a different outlet you could be whoever you wanted to be it was like a gameplay but you you kind of had a vision and then you use okay i already know stuff about photoshop and then i have a camera so let's figure out how to mess around and make it closer to you what you envision yeah yeah exactly it would be something like this so i always had photoshop as my hobby something to do i would spend hours compositing and just doing stuff and having photoshoots at home like into the night trying to figure out how to make something look really interesting and i didn't have any light so i would like use normal lamps at home to light up my setup and I wasn't really paying to lie attention. It was about all about capturing the picture and then edit it into something interesting. And then it came to decide what to do next. School was finishing. I was doing my A-levels. And I was figuring, what, what do I want to do? What do I want to do? And I actually was not prepared. I had no idea. I had no clue what I wanted to do. And there was a friend who was choosing university. It was Coventry University. And he showed me pictures and I was like, that sounds great. That looks good. I had a look, they had a photography course and I was between doing photography course and graphics design, but I felt like graphic design was, even though it was to do with probably illustration and Photoshop, it was still not in that direction that I wanted to be. Photography was still a part that I was really interested in, if you know what I mean. So uh, photography course in Coventry University was considered one of the best in the country. But yeah, I applied and luckily got accepted. And since then, my journey started. So how did that go? You just gave a little hint as like you probably had some expectations what to get out of it. How did that maybe change your perception of what you're getting out of college to figuring out what you actually want to do? Because that also was on your list. It's like, you're going to college to also figure out what you want to do next. Yeah, definitely. I was super excited. I was so excited to go to university. I remember just dreaming like, I'm going to go there. It's going to be full of such talented people who are so good. And we got, I don't know, I, I guess I dream too much. There's going to be groups and I'm going to do all this kind of stuff. And it's going to be amazing. I don't want to say that it wasn't, but it was definitely not what I expected. And it was just after in England, they have increased their university fees. So it was £9,000 per year just for the course including like living expenses and everything else so uh, i just don't think it was worth the money and the reason is 
it was difficult because English was more a native language and just didn't know what to expect. But at the same time, I felt it wasn't challenging enough because I was still so much into retouching and a lot of our professor's background was more into contemporary or documentary photography. They didn't see commercial as something good. I just remember even once one of our professors saying that I've met a friend, Sienna, you know her, and we were really interested into beauty and fashion. And I remember he made a comment saying that, oh, that type of photography is just candy floss, kind of making that, oh, it's just pretty pictures and nothing else, which is, is true. Like, I'm not trying to pretend uh, fashion photography has more deeper meaning than documentary photography. But putting it down, it's it's still something that we liked. But I mean, at some some point, it's like beauty also is art in some way. Yeah, so exactly. It's just a little bit more how how you present it, and also what it's used for. Exactly, and everyone has different interests. Someone finds inspiration to go and travel somewhere to document something. I'm not that kind of person. I like to stay at home. I like to be around the surroundings that like I'm not prepared to go somewhere and document it. It's it's not in me. I don't really find it interesting. Years, years later, jumping a little bit off topic is um I met a girl in a workshop and she did the commercial photography and I love it. It's really interesting to me to uh, observe and experience, but it's not something I would do. I don't think I have an eye for it or a passion to create in that genre. But I love it. But it's just, it's not my thing. Yeah, I have to jump in there. So obviously, as a retoucher, you have to take the time to observe reality, how light behaves, how an object behaves under light, how texture is working. So you have to make observations, just different observations as someone who's, let's call it, just documenting. Because you are kind of recrafting reality in, in some ways. Yeah, it's just... I find it a bit discouraging sometimes. I, I don't think they meant any harm. It's just we have those experiences with my friend because we spent so much time together while we were in university. Is I remember editing an image and I've, I was editing in a common space where everyone is. And I remember again, Professor making remarks like, I don't understand why you're spending so long on an image while I was retouching it. And it's a bit discouraging. I mean, I don't question. It's good. Like I'm all about constructive criticism, but it felt criticism without any being helpful. It's just a remark. Why are you spending so long? As if it's not important. Well, but then I'm thinking about something else. So let's consider Ansel Adams when he, he was in fine arts and he spent hours and hours and hours just to get on print how he wanted it to be. So I don't know if the question why you're spending so much time, even if it's not the commercial field and it's the arts field, is the right feedback to give. Exactly. So, interesting enough, Ansel Adams was one of the photographers we looked into, but I felt we were more looking into how photography affects us currently, its history, our relationship to photography. There wasn't as much technical approach to it which is fine it was mostly theory based but theory based not in terms of theory behind photography like how lighting behaves we had that but there were really small modules it was mostly 
speculating about photography and talking about it which is fine but it felt not enough um i didn't feel prepared um when i came out of university because you know like this field photography and retouching is very self-employed business usually people go out and that you can work for someone but a lot of people become self-employed and i felt uh we didn't do that kind of stuff we didn't have uh someone coming it would be would have been really useful if someone from hmrc which is um tax people i don't know how you call them would come in and talk about because they actually do webinars themselves when i set myself a self so you basically lack everything that's targeting how to be self-employed how to be a freelancer exactly how to get clients it would, and exactly it would have been really helpful if someone came in and they said this is how you do your accounting that's how you do how it's being self-employed but instead uh, we had an example i'm watching how to build a website from scratch back then when wordpress and squarespace a smug mug existed what happened we ended up all coding in a dreamweaver for three weeks everyone ended up with shitty websites that didn't work didn't expand if like the different size of window expander didn't look properly on the phones just were like really poor and shoddy we're concentrating on html and css for some reason where it could have been just build on squarespace and let's concentrate on how you can self set up yourself as a self-employed and um another thing what me and my friend didn't like is after they made that remarks about me retouching from and us liking commercial photography we had a course on how to write letters to ask for funding so someone would sponsor your project which is fine again i'm up all for it it's very valuable but what about knowing how to be successful and earn money yourself yeah not rely I think on that someone comes, to find your projects to, if you're in the arts world you are trying to get an exhibition going and make money from that and selling prints eventually maybe then probably you might need some funding but then you need tons of connections first exactly which is what i said which is fine it's something that is very useful but then I think there's so much more that could have been added to it because we were mostly concentrating on how to get someone to sponsor me to do what I want to do. But how about not being that stereotype of a hungry artist? How about knowing how to run a business, how to actually do what you love and earn money from it? Yeah. So how did you figure retouching is the thing you want to do? I just spend more time doing it. Was it ever an option for you to, oh, I'm just taking photographs and not editing them? No, because the reason I was more Photoshop heavy is because even initially, if you remember when I said when I was 12, we, I managed to pirate the Photoshop, but we didn't own a camera back then. So I didn't have a chance to take any new pictures. I only had a chance to either create from a blank canvas or whatever I had. So I always was more retouching heavy and also in us i didn't have that much confidence i found it really stressful to be around people and take pictures i still would like to get back into photography maybe just for myself but retouching always felt really right and we had to then set up a self-employed business that's the only thing we had we had to register as self-employed And me and Sienna, my friend, we started spending time on Facebook groups. That's actually where I met you. Mm -hmm. Which is 
war has been already quite some time ago. Oh, that's been such a long time ago. How, how long has it been? Like five, six years or something? Probably more. I would say seven. Yeah, Jesus. So it was in the groups that we met and you would find photographers in there and you would practice on images and that's how I started building up um, my interest in skin retouching. How did it come? So um, at first you, you uh, told us about doing more compositing work, um, having these self-portraits that you like more fantasy style oriented. How did it shift into that commercial field? So uh, was it during university when you figured or was it more influenced by the groups or was it that because skin retouching and beauty retouching obviously is something you haven't discovered in university. So was it something that you discovered in groups and then said, oh, that's so much more interesting than compositing work? It's difficult to say. I can't really pinpoint, but I think, yeah, it did start probably in the groups because You know, before it was just like come in and smudge the skin and then it looks somewhat good. But then you start seeing other people's uh, retouching. You can see the skin is not just a pile of smudginess. Yeah. It actually has texture. But also how, how does it feel if you recognize like I kind of know Photoshop for quite some years now and I like beauty and that stuff. But then there are people that create work that somehow looks still so much different from what what I or you were doing back then. So how does it feel and it, how does it affect you? Oh, definitely. I see something and it's amazing. So I just go again, deep dive into the sound to figure out what the hell is this? Like, how do they make it and what goes into it? And it's been years of years of figuring out and what could be the answer well the answer is there's just one filter in one button to click and boom there's <laughs> your polished image no i i remember i i have discovered dodger burn and i found some dodger burning courses and i think back then they like a preview videos of it or maybe they were like somewhere on youtube i found like a small snippet and again i didn't like i understood english but it was still sometimes difficult and remember her doing like this dodge and burning and she zoomed in between eyebrows and she goes with a brush and she does it and she like draws on it and I go in my image and I draw over the same area and like I don't understand it doesn't look the same it doesn't work I didn't understand that you have to lighten mm. the dark patches and darken the dark for well, darken yeah, the light patches such minute changes if you're just looking at the uh, at a video someone doing something you probably as an un experienced person you don't even see any changes happening yeah definitely and then i realized where it is and then i went crazy 200 mm -hmm. zoom in let's retouch everything every pixel <laughs> oh my god and i was like jesus why do people do this I was like, it's just taking so long i mean and, and then like you zoom out and it's just flat because There's no dimension to face because you can't see. That's an issue I like to explain to a lot of people is because some people at some point coined the phrase of micro dodging and burning and people have the expectation that you zoom into at least 100 or 200 percent and you dodge and burn every pixel that is on there. But they, what they forget is you don't have a reference of shape anymore when you're that far zoomed in. And you, and you need the, the reference of the whole facial shape and how the light hits 
that because when you zoom in that much, you only see is a texture pattern. Exactly, and I found that either in retouching tutorials, people who are experienced they just forget to mention it um, because you know it comes so second nature that they don't even mention it, and the person just doesn't understand, and or, or they just explain the technique and you interpret it the way you interpret it, and you just go in and start editing it's only later on i just figure out that when now i explain if i help someone is within zoom levels you target different areas with dodge and burning yeah different texture sizes and different yeah that's also uh when when i teach um there are a lot of people that say oh i already know about dodge and burn i know how it works but then there's I know how to lighten and to darken the image, but then how they apply it is so much different from what we would be doing as professionals. Exactly. And, right. And that is the difference. Exactly. That's why when uh, um, I don't teach right now, but when uh, I used to do one-on-one -on -one sessions, I would always ask them for their PSD file. So I could go through their file. I could see uh, their brush strokes, how they set up their files. Because he, he, I mean, Dojo Burn is just Dojo Burn. Pretty much everyone uses it, but it's how they apply and how they work with, with uh, the setup that will help me to determine if they're going wrong or they're doing something right. Um, so yeah, I always tell, think about it, when you're working really close, uh, zoomed in, you're working on a texture. The more you zoomed out, you then, you know, there's two stages you have, obviously the micro digit burning, you work on a texture and then you have zoomed out to global, it's, um, it's the contouring, but then there's in between, that's where you see your medium sized patches. That's where the magic lies in between that, in between contouring. And that's what, what people don't understand. I think also with using frequency separation is that they save very, very small detail and blur the rest. And what is not targeted is the issues in the mid frequencies because they just filtering them away and it, the, the image and the skin texture doesn't make sense anymore somehow. Yeah, it's just, I think the reason frequency separation maybe became popular is because Dodger Burning is time consuming and it felt like a shortcut to get yeah. quicker. I think it's it's hard to say like Dodger Burning is time consuming. What I find is it's time consuming to learn properly. Oh, of course. Because obviously uh, you can retouch and you can probably second me saying this is uh, when applied, you ha can decide how much you apply, how much you go into detail, and you can very effectively in a few minutes uh, retouch an image towards at least getting it to 80% publishing ready. And then you spend a lot of time maybe cleaning things up if it's necessary, right? So the, the argument of frequency separation is so much easier and faster it is only may be correct when you're starting from zero, basically. So that's where people seeing results versus when someone knows how to dodge and burn, right? Then frequency separation isn't the option anymore because it doesn't even come close to delivering the same results. And the time aspect isn't uh, there anymore. Definitely. But at the same time, it's not like this terrible technique it, it can be super useful i use it constantly to remove uh difficult uh areas of hair 
fixing creases i mean just on a current project um i need to remove all of the bra straps and seams from the dress because it's like a mesh dress and it's perfect it helps me to do uh, with much much easier much quicker without smudging everything um i had to fix crappy makeup and stuff like that it can be really good so i still love it it's just it's not what what many people are using it for of, right yeah because it's then also a matter of how they are taught so they are just i don't know why people decided to go for skin for it i don't know maybe because the difference is so because big. a shortcut yeah. because it's it's easier because it's time and investment i had multiple students who i, I would teach them everything they come back we do another session they're like oh i bought another tutorial i've done this this and like i don't know what's what's wrong and i say you need to practice and i know people hate it and i was the same i was like i need to find a new tutorial there's something that i'm missing i'm something that i'm sure there's something this special technique that they're not telling me but it's not it's like with many other professions fields is actually putting time and effort which is the most difficult one and that's when i actually started putting time and effort when i saw the difference when uh, i started more projects coming through in and taking more on free work just to get this experience when i started editing enormous amount of images then you almost like recalibrate your eye and you see differently and you, the way you apply the different defendant becomes quicker because you just it's an automated process I mean, right because the more experienced you are then you make the decision what is now the most effective thing to do to the image because i have so much work then i have only that much time so what am i doing to the most out of it yeah also another thing um talking about time that you just mentioned is file setup how you retouch i've seen quite a bit of files and majority of working setups are really unorganized And I'm not being there just so it looks pretty, but it's important. My workflow is very streamlined. It's the same pretty much on every image. I come in, I do the same stuff. This way I can push out more. Because, you know, I, I still sometimes can't do a lot of images per day, but there's so much to do in an image that I need to finish at least a couple of them in a day because they're like campaign work. So I have to have the streamlined process. So they look similar, they look uh, same, they work together, and I don't have to think about it. That's also important as a professional, right? We, we're working in series most of the times, and the images have to look the same, basically, cohesive. Definitely, definitely. I also have to jump in here saying some people, they uh, have seen my files and they were wondering, how do you retouch an image with just five layers or something? Or six, maybe, and yeah, you you can probably agree uh, uh, agree when we look at other people's files. Sometimes they're using I don't know fifty layers just for a portrait, without doing compositing work of hair or anything. So for every area they are working on, they use a new layer, even though they are going over the same task. For example, healing, cloning, and doing that on six different layers and as long as you're not touching other layers again that might be fine but as soon as you are trying to problem solve and going back you are stuck with 
I don't know, six, ten layers that you have to figure out where did I do what on. So it's, no, it's, it's really important to think about how you structure your workflow and how you, how to streamline it and to make it easy for you to go back in. So for example, I don't find it very useful to do healing and cloning and put it on six different layers and using them like here did I do something on the eye and here did I do something on the nose because obviously on the image I can if there's no better reason to separating that I can see where the eye is so if I have to go in and fix something I did on the eye I visually can approve where that is whereas it's getting complicated if I have six layers of healing and cloning and go through that and find where did I do something on the eye it's just but what if it overlaps do you separate yeah that might even be an issue so then then you're really looking at like three layers where i'm just thinking because i do clean up and example if i need to do outline of the hair i usually do in a separate layer yeah but then you have a reason to to do that because you're using overlaps to add more hair or something so yeah do you name your files uh, layers because i'm very methodical everything is very grouped and everything Um, has to be named if there is no reason for it um i usually don't name them because it's um so if if there's a group of something then i probably name the group but then if i if i can't get by with just one layer of healing and cloning and then have two curves over it that's obviously my dodging and burning and then there's maybe a group of doing the coloring so if i don't make selections or something i i end up with i don't know like five layers and it's pretty easy to to identify what was doing what uh if it's getting more complicated i use that you're definitely a bit more minimalist than me like i try to keep it very organized but um i do a lot of masking in my layers during the cleanup um so example if i need to do nails i would put them in a separate layer because i just want to quickly go with it and do and then i like to mask up perfectly rather than try to make it perfect while a clone or a heel yeah well yeah i mean things like that that make sense um but then it's it's like as as you said if i if i have a reason to target a specific area for something i would put that on different layers and i might put a name on it to to find it better but if my my basic workflow if i don't need to make like really detailed selections or anything i get by not naming it because maybe because i'm lazy then uh, it's becoming more of an issue if you're considering if more people are working on the same file, then it becomes very much apparent because I have worked on files coming from, from other agencies. And sometimes, yeah, the file structure is not very logical. And then it's taking a lot of time for me to figure out what have they done where and that obviously adds to uh, unnecessary time and maybe cost to it yeah yeah definitely it's interesting well if it's organized and it's easy to understand then really doesn't matter how it's done we all have pretty probably similar workflow yeah i don't i don't stand my layers as well It, it makes it super heavy and then everything starts to lag and I cannot stand when brushes or healing brushes or all of that starts to have a delay. Oh, that's something we can mention. So what I do sometimes is because you just mentioned the more layers you have 
and even if you have not merged your layers. So let's say you have built a few layers and that's also why I try to keep as little as few layers as possible is the more it adds to processing. And if you have all the layers active and go underneath to your healing and cloning layer and fix something, all of a sudden, even though you have quite a performant computer, maybe the, the healing brush and stuff becomes more processing heavy because it has to process all the layers above it. So it becomes a little bit laggy. But what people can do uh, to fix this is on top of the healing and cloning layer, do a merged file of everything that you have changed above and then deactivate or make the, all the layers invisible, right? And then, then it doesn't have to process the, the layers. And after you have finished your healing and cloning, uh, you can discard that uh, merge layer again. You know, I'm going to try this because I was doing something similar, but not as easy as you did. So if I need to add something, I would make a duplicate of that image. I would merge less um, below in it, and I would work on a duplicate file. I would just create a new layer and do my adjustments I need to do. And then, and I would just paste it back. Um, but that's, I think your idea is a bit easier if you just disable layers on the bottom. I didn't think it would work. Yeah, I just, it's just a temporary duplicate that opens in a new tab. I just do my little squiggles and then paste it. But yeah, I'll get, definitely give your technique a try then. It's even easier. Don't even have to make a duplicate then. I mean, there's just so much you can do to increase the performance in Photoshop and obviously there's limits. And uh, we also talked about history stage, uh, states, which can affect how performant your, your document is, the amount of layers you have in your document that are active and Photoshop has to calculate all of that. And as you said, a streamlined workflow helps with that. For example, that's why every one of us is starting with healing and cloning because if you haven't done anything, it's the most performant, and then you can add more non-destructive changes on top of that. Whereas when you have already done a few changes in terms of color and contrast, and then put a healing and cloning layer on top of that and use all of that, then your workflow isn't as non-destructive anymore because you can hardly go back and make changes and it becomes more complicated. So this has been it, episode number 35 with Natalia, the first part of our conversation. It's been a wrap. Thanks for tuning in so far. And before we go, I just want to remind you, if you get any value out of this, if you like what we are doing here, if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe to the podcast so you can follow up with the upcoming episodes. For example, episode number two with Natalia, where we will continue our conversation. We will deep dive into retouching techniques, how her process was of becoming a retoucher. And we will talk all about that. So if you like hearing about that, stay tuned and subscribe to the podcast. And I will talk to you in the next episode. Stay healthy. Yeah, I know you're nervous, but it's not like we're recording everything. So yeah, but still, I need to sound good. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to work. I promise. That was too cheeky of me. Um, I have a couple hours. I think we should be fine. Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, as long as you Don't have worry. like six hours that we will be recording straight through without even taking a break, that's going to be fine. Wait, six hours? Yeah, sure. You said a one hour 40. That's what it says on your calendar thingy. 
Okay, I got caught, I guess. <laughs> oh, by the way, I have a cookie. Listen. Oh, ASMR, isn't it? Well, I don't have any cookies. I have no junk food at home. <laughs> it's a very sad existence. No cookies for me.